Hello and welcome to our first year of Mattress and Stories podcast. I'm your host, Molly Vassabertolucci. I'm a licensed therapist and a maternal mental health specialist. I'm a mother of two on a parenthood learning journey, just like you. On this podcast, I talk with moms about their first year of motherhood and all of the joys, challenges, and surprises that come along with it. We share a lot of information and resources here, but this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a mental health professional. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Thanks for being here with me. Today's guest is Mika Story. Mika is a licensed pediatric speech-language pathologist and a mother of two young boys. She's the owner of A Speech Story, a pediatric private practice specializing in early intervention and speech sound disorders in Southern California. Mika values play-based therapy, parent education, and family-centered care. In this episode, Mika discusses speech and language milestones in the first year, empowering caregivers in therapy, and details about her debut children's book, Nixon's Engine Words. I really enjoyed talking with Mika for this episode and some of the ways that she described working with children and explained development have really stuck with me and shifted the way that I interact with my own children and see things from their point of view. Thanks for joining us. Let's jump in. Mika, thanks so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and what you do. How do you help parents and their babies in the first year? Yeah, thanks for having me, Molly. Um, I love podcasts, so I'm very, very honored to be on yours. I like you mentioned, my name is Mika. I am a mama. I have two two boys. Nixon is my oldest. He's five years old, so he'll be headed to kindergarten in the fall, which is like in a couple weeks. <laughs> and uh, my youngest, Clyde, is 20 months, which is so crazy that year goes by so fast. I can't believe he's going to be two in December. And uh, Outside of being a mom, I'm a, I'm a pediatric speech language pathologist. I am the owner of a speech story, which is a private practice here in Long Beach, California. Um, I provide in-home therapy to the early intervention population in families' homes, and I'm actually expanding my expanding my services this fall. And I'll start to provide services on campus to a private school, which I'm I'm very excited about. So most of my caseload is made up of kids that are that are older than one, but I do have a lot of families that reach out to me for parent consultation and parent coaching services for, for new moms, especially those with babies, because they're really just worried about their baby's speech and language development. You know, they're worried if they're if they're doing things right. And there's like a trillion ways to do things right. And most of the time they just need some reassurance that that they're doing things to support their child's speech and language development. So a lot of it is just talking them through what milestones to look for, um, how to be responsive to their baby, and really just just discussing their concerns based on what they see. Because most of the time, families and moms especially are worried. And um, like I said, they just need some reassurance that everything is okay and they're doing the right thing. There are times when, when parents are concerned and those concerns are valid. So I always tell those mamas to, to follow their intuition, really um, seek out a consultation or some support if they have any any inkling that, that, that something might be going on. Yeah. What are some of those milestones and concerns to look for in the first year? That's a good question. So there's so, there's so many. So I broke it down into kind of three parts for you. So it's also easier for listeners to kind of follow along. So there's major milestones as far as your child's, your baby's comprehension, so what they're able to understand. 
And then there's also major milestones for their expression. So, you know, gestures and, and talking and how they're communicating to us. And then there's also play milestones. So I can go through each one and kind of give you some pointers if, if, if you'd like. Yeah. Okay. So for comprehension, I'll, I'll kind of do it by three month increments. So in those first uh, zero to three months, um, there's a lot going on, but we're also in like a major mom fog and haze. So zero to three months, you were really just looking for your baby to be soothed by your voice. And that's kind of the beginning of, of them kind of comprehending the world around them. You'll notice that they start to move and attend to your voice or different voices in the room. And you'll notice, especially closer to the end of that three months, that they'll start to look at your mouth and your eyes a little bit um, and, and focus on them a little bit more. In that three to six month range, you're really looking, you know, you start to, might start to notice that your baby will turn their head towards you or they start to search for a voice or a speaker in the room. During six to nine months, a couple things to look for is um, your baby's comprehension starts to pick up a lot. So when you say stop or you say no, they will likely stop and look at you and follow. You know, no, if you'd say, no, don't touch that, they'll, they'll follow and that they'll start to recognize their name. And in the nine to 12 month range, a major milestone is following one step directions. So simple routine ones like um, come here, sit down, give that to me. Those are just the milestones to look for. Again, it's not a comprehensive list. Those are just a few in that category. And then for, for expression, language expression, those first zero to three months, your baby is primarily just using vegetative sounds. So communicating to you, um, with their crying and with their grunting and it's how you know that they're tired or they're hungry. In the three to six month range, you'll start to notice that they start to coo and goo or they'll start to blow raspberries and they'll start to use some sounds like single vowels or consonants like ah or e and they really start to, to figure out their voice. In the six to nine month range is when you'll start to notice babbling. So there's two different types of babbling. And the one that emerges first is called reduplicated babbling. So that one is just when they take like a single consonant and a vowel and repeat it over again, like ba, 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 ba. And then as they learn to play around with their voice a little bit more in sounds, they'll do something called variegated babbling. So it's a mixture of different sounds and vowels. So like ba, ba, bi, ga, ga, gu. And so that's what we kind of see in the six to nine month range. And then nine to 12 months is so fun because that's not only when they find their voice, but they start to use so many gestures. So we should kind of be looking for gestures like, are they pointing? Are they reaching up when they want to be picked up? You'll notice a lot more babbling in that stage two. And then a major milestone is that we're looking for at least one true word by 12 months. So by one years old. What are some common first true words? Ooh, there's so many different ones. I, to be honest, this is going to sound so bad. I don't even know what my son's first words were. <laughs> you know, mine, my 21-year-old, I think his was Dada. His was for sure Dada. I cannot remember my my oldest Nixon's what his first word was. <laughs> A lot of times it's Mama or Dada. Sometimes it's other functional words that they've been exposed to, like E or Wawa, mm-hmm. words like that. But um, in order for a word to be like a true word, we're just looking for three things. So you want your child to be able to use it consistently and independently. So they're not just copying it or, you know, when you say it, they're, they're saying it by themselves 
day to day and that it's intentional. So are they saying it purposefully? You know, are they calling you mama? Are they calling dad, dada? Are they labeling, you know, wawa or milk when they see their water bottle or their or their milk bottle? One thing I, I think that is interesting that you said is like wawa. Sometimes you might not think of that as a true word because it's like, it's not the word water, right? But you're saying yes. it, it is a true word because it's the meaning attached to it and it's they're using it consistently and they're independently using it. So if they're saying Wawa for their water, that's a true word. Like they got it. Absolutely. Full credit. Yes, full credit. Yes, I know a lot of parents have that question. So when your child is first learning how to talk, they're really just learning how to organize the sounds in their system to form meaningful, meaningful words. And Wawa is easier to say than water, especially because when we're looking at like syllable development, um, babies will use kind of reduplicated syllables first before they're able to form more complex um, words. So yes, Wawa is definitely considered a word if it's used consistently, independently, and intentionally. But those are called word approximation. So your child is just learning how to talk. So not, you know, the first words that they say are not going to sound 100% clear, but they're going to sound closely related, related to them. So tell, tell me a little bit about the play milestones that you mentioned. Yeah. So in the um, zero to three month range, we're really just looking, you know, as our baby gazing at objects and people briefly. <laughs> uh, like I said, moms are in a haze those first those first few months, and we're just trying to get basic <laughs> needs met for our baby. Yes, so a thousand percent. Yes. In the three to six month range, you might start to notice that your baby's, you know, reaching for objects or banging objects together. And then in the six to nine month range, we're really looking for emerging imitation skills. So if you build something and knock it over, does your baby try to knock it over too? Or if you're banging on the table or banging on a play drum, will your baby try to do that too? And then in the nine to 12 month range, we're really looking for play to emerge and your child to be able to use objects functionally, especially during play. So will they pretend to drink from a cup? or hold up a phone to their ear and pretend like they're talking, you know, push a car back and forth. We're really looking for those skills. I'm smiling because it's just like, it's so cute. And you're just like, oh, these are just so cute things they're doing, but they're just, they're working. Like they're learning. They <laughs> so are cool. so right. Like it's work. <laughs> they are working and learning and making. And the reason why play is so important to me, because I'm a play-based therapist, um, but play is really how children, you know, develop meaning and find meaning about the world around them. It's just totally exploring and figuring it out. So yeah, it's very important to me. What are some of the concerns? So if we went through, this is so, so great, this like list. So if you are at six to nine months and you're saying like, stop to your kiddo and they're not responding to that, is that a concern or what are some of the like big concerns that if kids aren't meeting that milestone, it would be a good thing to address early on. Yeah, I think a lot of parents are concerned for how well a child can perform a skill. And that's so hard because, you know, children aren't meant to perform skills 100% of the time. And a lot of it is because they don't want to, or they're attending to something else and they're not really paying attention to you. So sometimes parents are like, well, they do that sometimes, but not all the time. So I always, you know, ask parents to think of kind of zooming out a little bit and, and really looking at your child and, and asking yourself, can they follow it most of the time? Can they do this most of the time? But also, do you feel connected to your child? Um, that's to me is the most important thing. Like, do you feel connected to your child? Does your child feel connected to you or do you feel like your child's 
connecting to you and not in the sense like bonding that's you know that's one aspect but as far as like communication like are you guys able to read each other and understand each other and if not then we kind of explore that a little bit more there's so many questions that you know and everything is so individualized <laughs> to a specific family and and mother and child so totally totally it's like we had um, an audiologist on the podcast a few episodes back and she just talked about hearing as the foundation of connection and it's it just really like shifted my view and I'm hearing the same thing from you of like speech is just this vehicle of connection and so if you're able to communicate and I see that in the milestones that you talked about like the gestures mm -hmm. and like you're looking for the communication and the speech and language is developing as like the avenue of connection. Yes, absolutely. And sometimes parents too are so focused on the words, like my child's not yet speaking. My child is, is not saying this many words and another child is saying this many words. Um, but we also ask them, you know, scale it back a little bit because if your child's not using words yet, how are they communicating? Are they using mm -hmm. gestures? If they're not using gestures, then let's start there. So, you know, there's so many um, there's all those, what we call them like pre-linguistic skills. There's so many skills that develop before true words emerge. And sometimes we just need to have parents scale back and really assess where their child's at and, and have parents meet their child where they're at and then build from there. Mm, totally. Yeah. It sounds like a big part of your role in supporting families is maybe helping parents see all the things that their children are doing to develop speech and language. Oh my gosh, yes, 100%. And, um, you know, uh, I specialize in early intervention. And most of my work, because I'm in parents' home, um, you know, I see these kids maybe one, two times a week. And that's not enough to facilitate change. So a lot of it is really educating the parents and empowering them with tools so that they can, you know, continue to facilitate their child's communication skills all the other days of the week. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's a full, it's a whole family affair. Whole family affair. Whole family affair. <laughs> What does a typical session look like for you? So how do you incorporate play and bring in the parents and support the kiddo in session to build that language? Yeah, that's a good question. So because I'm primarily in the parents' home, I really try to utilize the toys and materials that they have available. Um, I do that for a couple reasons. One is sometimes a child can get overwhelmed if I bring you know, too, much, too much in. Mm -hmm. And two, I also want to have the family understand that they have enough. They have enough... <laughs> toys, they have enough books, they have enough in their home to really support their child's skills. So I really try to do that. Um, but there are times, you know, where I love to bring in fun little toys, like a pretend microwave or a new Melissa and Doug, to, Melissa and Doug toy that, that I bought, because um, it's very motivating. But it's really just building in language strategies or speech strategies into play, and really following a child's lead. I mean, the, the number one priority for me to have a successful session is to really be connected to the child and connected to the family. So a lot of it is starting off with play, incorporating some strategies, and then also explaining what strategies I'm using to the family so they understand what's going on, right? Because sometimes it just looks like play, but there's a whole lot that I'm doing or that the child's doing. So really communicating with them exactly what I'm doing so that they can use that strategy or that tool in their home the rest of the week. Yeah. Do you have some kind of favorite go-tos when you're just first starting out with kids to get to know them and kind of bring them out? Yes. I have this loud ball popper that I love to bring to families' homes. That one's a, a pretty good one. And every kid loves big mega blocks or Legos. They love those. And I have this little pretend 
microwave that kids just eat up. They love it. And it's because you put food in it and it actually spins around and it lights up and they love it. So those have been, those have been my go-tos lately. <laughs> All right, quick break here because I want to tell you about how we get through. How We Get Through is an app filled with curated mental health courses, workbooks, and a team of mental health professionals to guide you through almost anything. There are on-demand courses with topics like getting through your child's autism diagnosis, making big life decisions with your partner, getting through mom anxiety, and finding yourself in motherhood. And that's just a few. So here's how it works. You download the app, take a course, and feel better. There's on-demand courses, reflection prompts, self-paced curriculum, progress tracking tools, curated resources, and a therapist directory. You can purchase individual courses, or you can subscribe to the app to learn from mental health professionals on all kinds of topics. You can start a free trial or jump into a How We Get Through course today using the link in the show notes. So if parents do have concerns about their baby's speech and language development in the first year and beyond, right, what steps should they take? How, what would be the journey from those concerns to maybe having a session with someone like you? Yeah, that's a good question. I always try to educate families on the resources that are available to them wherever that they live. So um, for anybody who is living in the United States, every state has an early intervention program where the state covers evaluations and therapy if warranted. So, um, and that can be found by going to CDC and you can figure out what your state's early intervention program is. So for California, it's called Early Start. And um, children will often be referred to what's called like a regional center where they can get evaluated. But I always ask parents or tell parents to start there because it's free and it's available to them. And it's specifically meant for that zero to three age window. And if your child is older than three, you can reach out to your local public school. Again, if you live in the United States, um, because the public school is allowed to give you a free evaluation just to determine if your child is eligible or if services are warranted. Um, but there's also different different things. I am in private practice, so you can you know search private practices and speech, speech therapists that specialize in early intervention around where you live. How did you become interested in speech language pathology and working with with kids in general? That's a good question. So I grew up as a competitive gymnast almost all my life. And one day during practice when I was in high school, I saw this therapist come in with one of her clients and they were on the gym equipment and I got to talking to her and I just really loved what she was doing. And she she was a behavioral therapist, but she said, you know, you really should look into the field of speech pathology, there's super high need for, for therapists. And if you love kids and you love play. So I, you know, shadowed a therapist a couple times and then I started observing in clinics and I really just fell in love with it. And for as long as I can remember, I've always loved like pretend play and playing with dolls and playing school and playing teacher. Um, so yeah, I, I really just loved it. And I majored in it during undergrad, uh, during undergrad and loved it even more. So that's kind of how, how it all started. <laughs> That's awesome. I love the model of the way you work because you're doing the in-home and the in-classroom. Like it's so functional. So like, so it sounds like part of your approach is really supporting kiddos in the environments that they live, play, communicate in. I think that's so cool. Thank you. Yeah. I, 
I really try to make it as naturalistic as possible and functional for them. And communication is like so big for me. It's so important for, even if I'm working with an older kiddo and the family's not there to figure out how I can communicate with them and to let them know how the session went. It's so important for them to know exactly what's going on because they're, they're going to be the vessel for change. You know, they have to carry it out all the other days of the week, which is something that I've kind of been saying, yeah. saying over and over again. Totally. Yeah. It's not like a, I mean, it's constant, right? We're always communicating and the need to communicate or, yeah, to communicate your needs and connect with other people. I, this is kind of like off topic a little, but I lost my voice last week and it was a really good lesson for me because I was really frustrated trying to like go about my life and communicate with such limited ability to to talk. And it just made me feel such like kinship and like compassion for my one-year-old because I was like she probably you know she goes through trying to communicate with us all the time about what she needs and what she's feeling and this is like this paradigm shift of like oh this is what it's like to like struggle to communicate it was a good lesson oh my gosh absolutely there's like this this thing that goes around in the speech world where it's like if they could they would and it's mm. if we really like keep that in the back of our mind and we, we it helps us kind of understand where our child's frustration, you know, comes from. It's it's hard. And even even if your child's developing speech and language skills on target, they're gonna still get, you know, moments of frustration because they're learning. So um yeah, yeah, that's 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 some pretty good insight though. <laughs> they could, they would. I think that's that's really good to keep in mind. Yeah. Tell us about story time tots. Storytime Tots, oh, my, my language place, my language-based playgroup. I'm so excited. It's going to be coming back in the fall. So my first session is going to be in October. So I will definitely let you know when that is. So Storytime Tots came from an idea where I just really wanted to gather people in the community to give them a space where they could connect with other families, but also learn language strategies and carry them into their home. So the group is primarily for tots, so kids that are one to three, but I accept it up to age four just because, you know, sometimes age is not, um, doesn't really determine where a child's at as far as their communication skills. So yeah, we, we read a book. I talk about language strategies to use. I set up PlayStations for families to interact with their child at, and then we kind of come back at the end for a Q&A, and I answer any questions that the families have. And a lot of times one question that a family has, you know, it's the question that so many other families are, are wanting to know the answer to. So it just gives, gives them a, a safe space to connect and, and a fun way to, to play with kids in the community. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. I love that idea of that environment where you could go and be supported by a professional and with other parents and other kiddos. Yeah, absolutely. And tell us about, this is so exciting, your new book. Oh, I'm so excited about this new book. It It is in the final stages. I keep feeling I've been saying that for, for forever now, but it's almost ready for print. We're just making minor, minor changes before print. So it's called Nixon's Engine Words. I have a five-year-old named Nixon, so it was very much inspired by, by him and when he was first born. So uh, I often re- refer to engine words on my social media page. So a lot of other therapists call them power words, but to me, engine words are single functional words that really pack a punch. You know, your child can use them and they can communicate so much with just that one word. So they're functional words like want or help or open um, versus more academic-based words like colors, numbers, and shapes. 
those are sometimes very important for a family for for their child to know but it's really hard for children to communicate their wants and needs if they only know those academic type words so um, Nixon's Engine Words is about uh, Kironi Nixon, and he enjoys like an ordinary day with his mom, and they do just ordinary things together, but he uses his engine words during functional activities, and on each page, there's a caregiver tip so that families can, you know, implement those strategies into their home right away, and um yeah, I, I love it. Nixon, you know, wears glasses. He actually just got them off, but he lo- he wears glasses and my illustrator drew him and he, oh, it's just, I can't, I can't wait for people to see it. So um, I will let you know when the pre-order date is released. How special. Congratulations. That's, Thank that you. sounds like such a great tool for parents. And I'm just, I'm thinking as we're talking how much I wish I had known you <laughs> when my first was born because she was a late talker and we had early intervention for her and all kinds of services. And I so appreciate your approach of just earlier when you said like whatever families have in their homes, the toys, the books, that's enough. And yeah. because as a, a mother, there there was such a feeling of like, if I could just get the right toy or if I could just get the right book or like if I could just work harder then her speech would develop and just like right you want you want the very best for your kid and we automatically go to like how do I fix this and so I really appreciate that approach of like you know what you have is enough what you're doing enough like coming alongside parents and partnering with them to to help their kiddo and yeah I just and this book also sounds like something that would have been so helpful for our family in our journey. So I'm just, I'm so glad that it's going to be out there and that this, that you've agreed to come on the podcast and talk about your expertise so that families can hear about your services too. Oh, thanks Molly. I'm yeah, I, I am so excited. I'm just so thankful that you had me on. I was listening to some of your other episodes and, um, yeah, it's wonderful what you're doing for the community and just for everybody to um, help them just like connect with other moms that are that are in it. You know, I mean, we're in it. We have kiddos like very yeah. close in age and it's wild and no one ever prepares you for for having children, especially that first year. Um, and even doing it a second time, you forget, <laughs> you forget. Um, you I forget feel like we could do a whole podcast on second time mom because it's like you, you just kind of think you have it figured out, right? You're like, okay, I think I'm better prepared. And then it's like, bam, this kid's totally different. And bam, like you're still in, you're a new mom again. You're new, completely all over again. Completely new. Yeah. I always make this joke that my second like really humbles me in my my parenting journey. Um, Cause you, (laughs) he really does humble me and, and you do change. Like, I feel like with my first, like I evolved into such a different person and then I'm like, okay, I kind of got this person figured out. And then you have your second and that ignites so much within you again to evolve and change and rediscover. So, um, it's yeah. all a journey. Sometimes all a, wild journey. <laughs> a wild ride. Yeah, it's a wild ride for sure. <laughs> it's, it's awesome that you're here to support parents in their journey and support kiddos and being able to communicate with their families. What words of encouragement or wisdom do you have for parents who might be in this journey of helping their child develop with speech and language right now? Yeah. Um, One is for mothers who follow their intuition. Um, A mother knows when something is going on and 
I want mothers to act on on their intuition if they do have concerns and to talk to a professional, whether it's a speech therapist or any other professional that specializes in the area that they're concerned about. And my second is to just really tell moms and dads and any other caregivers that they're doing such a good job. Most of the families that I work with, there's so much guilt that caregivers are placing on themselves and they really are um, feeling like they caused their child to have a speech delay um, or a speech disorder. And that's just not the case. So to just really reiterate that they're doing a good job um, and that they're doing everything that they can. There's no one right way to do something. And most of the time they're doing a phenomenal job. One last question for you. Do you have any um, like activities that you do with your kiddos that are some of your favorite like play-based activities for just encouraging language and communication? Yes. Oh, let me think of, let me think of one. Okay. One strategy that I love to use in my house and that I will recommend to any kiddo, especially under, under five that I'm working with is something called communication temptations. So a lot of what I teach families to do is that we can create an environment to help their child communicate. So communication temptations are kind of manipulating the environment so that your child has the opportunity to communicate. So I love putting things that they love up high, kind of out of reach, so that they have the opportunity to kind of communicate what their wants and needs are. Or toys. Um, Sometimes it's helpful to put toys, especially those that have like lots of pieces in a bin, in a container that they can't open so that they can bring it to you and ask for it to be opened up or ask for help. Okay. So kind of setting up opportunities for them to tell you what they want and need. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. Sometimes we're just placing so many demands on our child, like say this, do that. Can you tell me that you want this? And we, that creates like a lot of pressure. We're putting a lot of pressure on our our children to communicate and that can make them kind of resist the process and shut down. So if we can kind of do things, you know, where they don't really know that we're doing them. So it's, yeah, like I said, manipulating, manipulating the environment around them so that they can communicate their wants and needs is, is a strategy I love. I love to give to families. So doable, just kind of naturally encouraging or eliciting yeah, that communication. Awesome. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Such a great tool. Mika, where can people find you to connect? Yes, you can head to my website. So it's www.speechstory.com. I, you know, I, I do one-on-one therapy, but I also, like I, like I mentioned, I do uh, complimentary consultations and parent coaching sessions virtually for families who were interested in that service. And you can follow me on Instagram, which is how we met. <laughs> yes. And Mika shares so much valuable content on Instagram. So definitely give her a follow. And then we will, um, also provide any updates about when your book is coming out and Storytime Tots as well for listeners and Storytime Tots, particularly for those local here in Southern California and Long Beach. Yes, absolutely. I will let you know when that October date is released for Storytime Tots and the pre-order date for my book. Thanks so much, Molly. Thank you, Mika. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And if you did, you might want to subscribe to the podcast so you could be the first to know when new episodes air. Be sure to check out the show notes for any links, resources, or information that we mentioned in this episode. Thank you for listening.